we should probably warm up because uh moved a little slow today <laughs> you need some some vocal warm-ups do you uh yes. do you have some exercises sure. Check. I need some echinacea. I need some, uh, probably need red, some Listerine. Red leather, yellow leather. Red leather, yellow leather. I'm working on it. Uh, why don't you put do, some rux? Do, do, re, mi, fa, so, la. Why don't you put some rux in your mouth <laughs> and, and swallow them as a joke? <laughs> that would be good exercise. That's the meanest. That's the meanest thing you've ever said to me. That was. Just I'm. Me. I'm pretty sure it's. It's. It's not. <laughs> I mean, in the in the meanest. Among the meanest things I ever told you, nah, this would be maybe in, well, <laughs> top 10, yeah, but probably, <laughs> probably not top 10. Yeah, top 50, <laughs> absolutely. have a guest today, Steph. As usual, we have Kyle. So names don't matter. We are going to be recognized by our voices. So we are not really good with introductions. We haven't really introduced uh, ourselves really ever. So we, we just go with that. So it's, therefore, we're not going to introduce you either, Steph. Okay. Are you cultivating a sense of mystery or... No. RV? Is, is it mysterious this way? Um more confusing than mysterious i would say <laughs> i guess well i can live with that <laughs> but the yusuf is just afraid to share personal details about himself because of the turkish government yeah d definitely um, <laughs> no, 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 well, not the government but just turkey in general i i get it i've heard things about the turkish government operating in switzerland so it's all lies they're all lies none of them are true mm. Well, nice some of them are probably true. <laughs> no, I, I denounce all of them. <laughs> Fair enough. I know uh, how they talk about Turkey there. Well, to best of my knowledge. So I, I'm disagreeing with all of it. Okay. What was that uh, That Swiss party that had the... Uh, it was a like a cartoon rendering of some sheep. I think it was like a far-right party. Um, yeah, and it's they the, were the SLP. The um, SLP. So it's the, the People's Party. It's the far-right far conservative party. It's always the people's party. Yeah. <laughs> what is about the people? Schweizerische Volkspartei. Folk, yeah. And so it's SVP, so SVP. So they have considerable power right now? Or, mm. or is it even possible to have a considerable amount of power in Swiss government? No, they have like a pretty good coalition system, um, which is also like they have a bicameral House and Senate system, but they also have a direct democracy. So the constitution is constantly under revision and by like direct public initiative. But you do have like the tremendous influence of lobbying and, you know, far-right business influences, the creep of neoliberalism is, is strong, and you have the increasing kind of centrism, which is infecting the, the left parties for a while now. Um, so business as usual. Yes. When you say the creep of neoliberalism, were you talking about Bill Clinton or Joe Biden? Or, which? <laughs> all, all of the or us? There are quite a few creeps associated no, with no, I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the specter of Friedrich Hayek, who looms above all of us. It's, it's very, very liberal. Like, it's, it's crazy because they have the ability to make these like, amazing legislative sweeping changes here with just a, a public initiative, but they are very much attached to the idea of slow progress and public consensus. Um, so 
when revolutionary ideas do get floated, they usually take a long time to kind of transfer into the mainstream. Like there's been, I guess, like a 10 year campaign to get the idea of like a basic income introduced here. Um, that's been, you know, constantly re-voted over and over again. And every time it, it gets a few more votes and this is considered like the proper way to introduce an issue in Switzerland. Wait, wait. So are you saying that it takes a lot of time to introduce something quasi-progressive into the mainstream? Did you just say that? No, no. I mean, like in the sense of, I mean, basic income has been mainstream for a long time. Is it really mainstream? I don't yeah. really consider that a mainstream idea. There have been social experiments and public policy discussions about basic income for at least 15 years in the mainstream. Yeah, it was a bit fringy, I think. Like in the 90s, the only ones talking about it were the libertarians, I believe. Um, I mean, Canada has had ongoing experiments going on for at least 10 years. I mean, in the northern upper hemisphere of the world, it's been a, it's been a mainstream idea for a little while. There have actually been some experiments in the U.S. as well, like a few cities in California and elsewhere, like Louisiana as well. But so. I guess, okay, well, I was a little bit perplexed with the idea what I consider mainstream is something already majority of the people in the public sphere accustomed with, not just accustomed with what they also assume, well, there is some there's some truth to the idea, but with basic income, I guess what, what you imply is that it, it's like discussed in uh, the mainstream political landscape, which I agree with. But it's not, it's not something really that I, I foresee any kind of a universal application of in any country. I mean, Spain just introduced it. Is uh, it really basic income, though? Like the, the, what Philip Van Perry and many others have in mind? Like it's universal, it's not conditional? I thought that Spain's was just going to be indefinite now since the uh, since the coronavirus yeah. uh, fun and games but uh speaking of spain we watched a movie oh that's true we did watch a movie we watched a movie what, what's uh, the movie is uh volver by yeah Pedro, it, that's uh, that's how it's pronounced i i don't know may it okay. seems right i think you can hit um, it a little harder volver volver now I now I just sound like I'm having a stroke though. No, you sound uh, it, it sounds a little French now. Well, it's hard with the Spanish trail in like the R of the of the French. It's hard to differentiate. Hmm. I I don't know too many languages. I'm gonna defer to you. But yeah, so we watched Volver by Pedro Almodovar, and had one asked like, had you ever watched any films by uh, by this director before? Um, I haven't. Not no. No. Did it remind you of anything? Like, what were your like initial reactions to this film? Um, Yusuf, are you going first, or do you want me to go first? No, no, you can always go first with the questions. Okay, so I had like a lot of really visceral reactions to this film. One because the the aesthetic of the film is so rich. Um, this kind of colorscape of primary colors, everything's really saturated. It was really pleasing and like really fun to watch um, in that way. Also, the soundscape was very rich in a very similar way. You have these really big, bold sounds and uh, and kind of uh, movements in the music. I really liked, they were like deeply impactful for me. I also thought they were like a nice way to connect to like the basic concept. This is very scary ghost story that's being told to you wrapped up in this beautiful kind of package. But I also hated watching it. I was deeply disgusted. Why? <laughs> I I was deeply disgusted by the way the camera felt like the male gaze. 
very often shots are taken in a way in which they are framed explicitly on, you know, the, the chest or showing cleavage or the butt. And they're done in a very gratuitous way um, so that I often felt objectified through the camera. There was something to that. Now, just remembering it, I, I was feeling a little buttered and I rather felt like in the shoes of all the women in the movie with those shots. Maybe an important difference watching this as a man and a woman. Um, I don't want to generalize, of course, but like I felt deeply uncomfortable watching it in the sense of I felt like if the point is to tell, to glorify the story of these women who are, you know, despite these various sundry phantoms and ghosts and histories that haunt them, both real and non, managing to survive and even in some cases thrive. And then you have this, this way of filming that reduces them to a sum of body parts um, in a lot of shots. I was deeply bothered by that. That was, that was actually on my list of questions was that cleavage shot because it stuck out so much in the film. And it's, so knowing some other of his films, he, by, by the way, he's, he's gay identifies with like queer cinema now, but women are often the leads in his films. And Penelope Cruz, like he's, he's said some kind of strange things about this film because he was kind of pressed on this, like what you were saying, Stephanie, sort of these shots of the cleavage and the butt and stuff. And his responses were a little strange. Like he, he said, you know, like we had to put padding in Penelope Cruz's ass because her ass isn't big enough uh, and we had to make her seem more motherly and yeah it, so there I, I agree with you though. I mean I think it's important to remember that just because um, somebody may identify with the queer community especially gay men um, doesn't mean they're not deeply misogynist or biased in the way that they portray women uh, because we all internalize damaging ideas about women or about objectifying ideals about women and the best ways to sell them as art or to make them into art which then kind of deprives them of the the depth of their character or their story yeah but why are we thinking about this in the sense of so there are almost like no men in the movie right we can like almost there's no men physical portrayal wise so i felt like we don't see men but we see their gaze so there is a man with every cleavage shot, I feel like there is a man there just looking at that. It's very obviously intentional, all those shots. It's not really to, it's not really to objectify. It's not, well, you might just still say that, you know, it goes with the similar question in comedy when very, uh, renowned in non sexist or non racist comedian makes like a, you know, otherwise a racist joke. And one might say that, well, it's, kind of criticizing already all those racist people and some might say well it, it reproduces that racism with those jokes so there is that discussion in comedy as well you can very well say with the Pedro Almodovar with all those clear shots well yeah maybe he's trying to do something else yet well he still does you know what many others do so then there's no difference you might very well say that but I feel like with a little more thinking with a more contemplation maybe there is that gaze to make people simply question their own gaze throughout the movie I think at the beginning of the movie, you're really supposed to feel the presence of men looming large over these women's lives, um, whether they're physically there or not. And I think you can see the camera in a way as trying to include them when they're not actually characters on screen. And I mean, if you want to, uh, like, that was my most generous interpretation is that this was maybe a choice 
um, to really, because I felt as the story becomes more centered on the actual women and their responses to these tragedies or to these choices that they have to make or um, to their own development, the, the shots change in the movie. They don't stay consistent. And um, so it, it might be intentional. I think you could see it like that as well. What, what did you think about how the women interact with each other? Um, I mean, so you see, what I think was very cool about the movie is it showed a lot of the ways that women interact in their own communities with one another and in very easy ways or very like complex but simple ways provide tremendous amounts of support, uh, both emotional, financial, within their communities. And I really liked that, the kind of solidarity you get from seeing, you know, within the communities themselves of these poor women who are working class, forming these kinds of networks to help each other succeed or rise above certain circumstances. But you find, I found the dialogue lacking a couple of times, but I also found it kind of interesting. You know, if you put it through the Bechdel test, it fails quite often. So the Bechdel test is this test of, I'm sure you two are both familiar with it, is this test of, you know, if two women are talking to one another, if they can have a conversation that is not about men or their relation to men or like romantic interests to men. And it's often seen as kind of like the standard for, you know, characters who are women are written and how their dialogues and interactions are written. If they can center around more than just their relation to men in the world. Um, so you see a lot of that, but yeah, I don't know. It's, I was really shocked also with um, how mean the character of Raimundo was to people in her community. So you have this, this scene where she's asking for things for the restaurant because she's going to feed this movie crew. And she like tries to buy this pork from this woman. And she basically says, oh, well, you don't need it. Like you could diet for a day or two, you know, like she was in the need, right? It, it, she's being a little manipulative, super manipulative throughout the film, especially when it came to women and their bodies. Uh, she constantly shames people for the way they look. And then you see later on, uh, spoiler alert, when her own mother returns and they're you know, together in the in their aunt's house cooking a meal, you see her own mother look at her chest and go, have your boobs always been like this? Like, have you always had such a large chest? And since you were little, and she says, yeah, it's, you know, it's always been like that. And you see this uncomfortable silence where her mother kind of blames her in that moment for what has happened to her because of the way that she looks. So you can see Raimunda kind of replicating this own interaction with her own daughter and then also the women in the society in which she lives. So if you think about, you know, how in some movies with some kind of a gender issues awareness, there's always a description of how there's like also inherent or internalized sexism by people who are most of the time oppressed by similar sexist acts. If you think about that, like, I mean, I think the amount of such behavior was to some extent was limited in this movie. There was a little bit of this sense of solidarity between people. And I kind of also think how the village life and the more like city life although it's not really very much of the urban center where they live in the city. So the amount of solidarity, in a way, it's not so much different. They literally go and very carry, I don't know, at least 100 kilos of a thing together. They put it, <laughs> load that to the truck for a woman, and another woman is just coming to dig a big hole in like a no man's land just to help and doesn't ask any questions. They have the exact opposite interpretation because all of those relationships in the city are financial because all of those women help her in order to gain access to the restaurant. I mean, yeah, but it, they all need money. It's not like they have all the time in the world and the only way to just help someone is just via, via money. 
It's rather that they all need money. So it's, it's not really they even ask for it. Like it's already part of the agreement. Maybe it's my own way of having a commodified relationship with others. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> well, I, I kind of interpret it as like this informal economy of women, right? Like Penelope Cruz's character, Raimunda, like has this restaurant illegally. The owner of the, the actual space doesn't know that she's running a restaurant out of it. And she's making all of these sort of agreements with these women. And yeah, I didn't really interrogate that this financial basis of these women's relationships too much. I thought, oh, interesting. Like there's this economy that it's an economy of women and there are no men in this story. And the economy of women uh, works well. You know, it's kind of like this system in the movie, which I found kind of interesting. I mean, I think, and this is kind of like a question for the entire film, which is that you see that men are a part of this economy. They just don't do the jobs that need to be done in it. Technology is so advanced, like it adapts itself to not hearing the background noises, and it's so advanced, I can't believe it. O- old man Yusuf. Yeah. This would be our old man ad- ads. <laughs> Can you tell us about walking in the snow for five miles to get to school? Me? That's a bit like a trope in the US, is like old people always talk about how far they had to walk to get to school. I would walk to university, like it would take 20 minutes in Sweden. AKA the work. So in you can snow. tell in us. In the snow, most of the time, in the snow. Yeah. So you can tell us about your arduous times living in one of the most advanced welfare states uh, I in did, the world. I did, I did have my good days. Yeah. I mean, I was <laughs> hospitalized once. That was like experience to live in Sweden, I guess. I mean, if you're going to be hospitalized, you need to do that in Sweden. The info. I'll make sure to aim for that next time. And uh, so it, it was a kind of a unplanned surgery i just went to the doctor and he was like okay well you need to go to er and just have this procedure likely and just went to the er waited wait all day and then they took me like okay we're gonna operate at midnight <laughs> next morning i woke up uh, and you had a beautiful chin you had a nice new chin <laughs> yeah i had a nice new chin and as a bonus they added an extra uh <laughs> nice no job they were like well why not yeah so in sweden they're up. like you have to have you have an emergency surgery you need a new chin yeah i was leveling down the whole chin landscape of sweden apparently <laughs> so <laughs> they couldn't really they couldn't resist the idea and they were cool. trying to impose their eurocentric beauty standards on you definitely and i was i was the top candidate <laughs> <laughs> and they just abduct Turks off the street to give them uh... <laughs> <laughs> apparently from a cost, cost and benefit analysis perspective we, we are the best candidate <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> and however you interpret what I just said and I just woke up on the hospital bed I had a, a nurse who was speaking Turkish wow oh. yeah, yeah Swedish uh, Swedish nurse and 
And then I afterwards I didn't ask that question. I was like, I'm not that kind of a person who asks like, oh, how did you learn Turkish? Or like, I didn't ask any of those questions. A couple of months after, I had this Turkish friend at work uh, who was also a PhD student, and I just told the story, and she was like, oh, I apparently knew that person, and apparently she was married to a Turkish guy, and that's how she learned Turkish. Obviously, we can assume they intentionally did assign that nurse to me. I mean, especially like in healthcare, you want to have conversations where you're sure that you're understanding everything. So you don't want to go for a chin job and have a nose job, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, I was just remembering a time when I, uh, I had altitude sickness in Kyrgyzstan, and I was getting you know like I woke up and I couldn't stand up anymore, and I was kind of like almost throwing up. And there was a Russian doctor in a yurt next to me, and she was being translated through someone who spoke English, and. I thought it was a joke what she suggested for it. She said her first recommendation was to get Centrum Daily men's pills. And I just like laughed hysterically. I was I was like like I was laying down in a yurt and just like laughing. I was like, okay, no, what's the real remedy? And she's like, No, 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 it's Centrum. And I was like, Okay, where am I gonna find Centrum in Kyrgyzstan? But anyway, yeah, I was like, Isn't you that a just vitamin? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a men's <laughs> marketed Central as a men. men's daily pill. <laughs> yeah, it's like I always go and buy the elders. So there's like in Sweden there was like men, women, kids, and plus sixty-five. Yeah. Mm. In Turkey, it, it's not really marketable plus sixty-five, but in Sweden it is. Because they're all dead. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, plus forty would be a little better, but uh, <laughs> I would always buy plus sixty-five. <laughs> I mean, you have to assume they're giving the plus sixty-five people the good shit, right? Yeah, like I was like, I'm always fatigued. I always have fatigue, so I always have the problem with plus sixty-five. Should I have yet plus sixty-five in Sweden are in a better condition than I am? So I, I, want, to, I wanted to have what they have. I would always just prefer that one. A nice interpretation of uh, the classic when Harry met Sally line of "I'll have what she's having." <laughs> well, I didn't. I wasn't accompanied with an elderly person. Uh, while shopping and pharmacy. This is only solidifying <laughs> the the uh, the trope of uh, old man Yusuf now. Yeah, I was trying to support your. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Although I could have waited in like the pharmacies, kind of an old person to buy a vitamin, and I would just own the line, and then like, oh, what do you want to have? I was like, I want to have what she has. <laughs> <laughs> that would work. It's always been my dream to go into some kind of restaurant or bar and just say, "I'll have, I'll have the regular." Then they get it for me. But I'm, I'm like too impatient. I never go to the same place. But it's I still a goal. That I experienced that. So I would always taking a tram and then taking a bus. And between the tram and the bus, there was this bakery, and I would always go there and have a cappuccino. Uh, so let's say that I did that after like two months. I went inside and. The woman was like, "Oh, cappuccino!" I was like, "Yes." <laughs> Such an uppity moment. It's, Just grinning it, ear to ear. Feels nice, no? It's it's yeah. nice to be seen and remembered. True. <laughs> now it felt sad. <laughs> now it felt sad for having fun with that. Yeah, it it really depends on what the order is, because if it's like five chili dogs and like just some like two sodas it's just not a thing that you want to <laughs> or it's like you know you want to buy six donuts i'm offended by the idea that you think six donuts is somehow too many <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not well it's not too many on a day but if you're remembered with 
ordering six donuts all the time, you know, <laughs> <laughs> so it might be a little too many. I mean, Yusuf, you obviously just don't have a donut place that you frequent. We've already discussed donuts on, on our second uh, episode, and uh, Yusuf completely misread what I was saying about Canada and donuts and their donut culture. Yusuf's, uh, he's, he's lacking in his donut awareness, I think. Yeah, I mean, for me, like Evansville, Indiana, is, they have a lot of Southern influence, and by that, we pretty much love anything that's deep fried, um, including donuts. And like, it is, there is the donut place, like, that you go to every morning, you see all your friends and family in the drive-thru to get your donut and your coffee every day. Like, it was the ritual every day before high school, we would go 6.30 in the morning, buy a donut. Like, donuts wow. are everything. That's nice. Wow. But Kyle, don't, don't, <laughs> Kyle, <laughs> I just, yeah. No, it's a nice story, Steph. Thanks for sharing. Good uh, dick. No, no. I'm used to it. Yeah. Me too. Me too. Yeah. But Kyle, you're misreading me, misreading and me not caring. So just wanted to clear that up. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I supposed no. to apologize? Ah, no, no, no. Wouldn't be sincere. <laughs> wow. All right. So where were we on this? Uh, I so... have something about the movie that I wanted to also share when we were talking about. But we start with all that color the staff mentioned, which I completely agree. Well, with all the violence and pain and suffering, I, was it the colors just made it little is down characters themselves were just not really as in a other more dramatic movies got rid of a body but just the life goes on right most of the time in the movies the, such moments are very dramatized and in this movie it wasn't and i was feeling that maybe this is more real so did you also feel that like you know how things are just being handled by the characters in the movie despite the amount of shit they're dealing with? Yeah, I agree. I thought that it was a bit unsatisfying in some way that you know in the in the first 10 minutes of this film there's someone's killed and it seems like it, this corpse is going to be <laughs> needed to be dealt with and it will cause problems for for Raimunda but it, it just kind of it's just a background almost like a B or a C plot in the film and everyone just kind of goes on as uh, as normal I, I, I didn't know what to make of that I don't know I mean I really liked it honestly it felt very real to me because I mean it's something we're like reckoning with right now with like the Black Lives Matter movement is the fact that people of color or socioeconomically disadvantaged peoples do not have the time nor space to process intergenerational trauma. And that this, for many people, is just what you do. You do not critically reflect on your emotional reactions or your relation to the things that happen to you. Um, because you just can't. And I mean, there's also with the gender like aspect here, the fact that every character in this movie has someone that they are caring for, that they can say, well, I can't really think about how I feel. I want to take care of this person. So you see also kind of that aspect of, of care showing up here as well as kind of the reason why a lot of this is not thematicized, because it's just not that important to the individual characters at that moment. No, it's, it's, it's interesting because they, you know, there are these ties in the film, these familial ties that these characters have, long-standing friendships that they have, and just thinking about, you know, what a professional psychiatrist would say to these women, it would probably have no relevance to them. 
you know, like maybe this advice, like, you know, cut out these, these negative people or these negative influences from your life. So it's like, you know, some people can't, they live with the, you know, with family or they live among uh, neighbors that are in their lives. And yeah, I think this to me felt authentic in how they respond to these events. They keep moving. And just to flesh that out, that bit with her father, as the the film goes on, becomes clear that there was sexual abuse of Raymunda. And that's sort of, I don't know, would you say like in the background the entire time? And then it sort of makes sense in the end? I mean, if you think about like, so just the name of the film, like The Return, like you see this just manifest itself over and over again, the way that the characters return to these things in their lives or the way that they return, that those things, those traumas return to them through other events or other people. And like, I think that it's something that highly motivates the way that Raimunda like kind of interacts with Paco in the beginning of the film, although we don't know it at this point. You know, when you learn about it after the fact, you you also, I think, have a bit of context for why she doesn't blink an eye about his death. She thinks he he deserves it on some level, probably. But I think also it's very interesting because, like, so much of this is also about the things that we don't say to one another and how that also returns to haunt us in different ways. Because she does not tell her mother that this happened to her and her mother does not tell her that her father was this philandering, terrible man who ruined her life over and over again but created this fairy tale. They were both haunted by him in very different ways. Maybe turn the wall work also means not just returning back to something but it, I also feel like it connotates with a circle. Because in the end mm. of the day, of course, she doesn't go and kill Paco, but I, we can just say she gets rid of the body in a way how her also mother did, right? I mean, it's also like, I think in the end with the character development of Raimunda, like you see, it's also a return to herself. Like you see following, you know, the death of Paco and all these developments, you see her, you know, taking up singing again. You see her, you know, building this restaurant for herself because she's interested and, and wants to do it. You see her reconnecting in a very deep way with the people around her who she kind of had kept at an arm's length. In a lot of ways, she was kind of returning to herself. Yeah, that's a great place to end. Yeah. Well, I actually have another thing I'd like to discuss if you're interested, if you have the time. I, I'm not interested, but I have the time. <laughs> <laughs> wow, what a dick. Um, no, yeah, we can, we can have some closing thoughts. I mean, one thing I found really powerful, but we haven't touched on at all, is about how the town, the village itself is a character in the, the movie and how it's it's kind of slightly magical, which I found I really liked. I really liked it as kind of a, a way to introduce this context of how in small towns, the dynamics, the relationships between people become so close and so deeply intertwined that, um, and often so blocked by certain miscommunications or misunderstandings or certain legends or myths or stories that we've told other people about ourselves, um, that they're more willing to believe that instead of a woman, you know, murdering her husband and, you know, hiding out for several years, that she's actually a ghost. I found that really, a really cool concept. I really liked it, the power of this kind of mythos in small villages or small towns, because I've also kind of, you know, lived through this coming from a town where everyone knew my business and knew what I was up to and, you know, couldn't get away with anything. Small towns are toxic. 
<laughs> but they're also magical in that they 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 make certain things possible which normally in larger cities or in less well-connected networks just are not imaginable. Yeah, I, I know from reading a couple of interviews that uh, Almodovar wanted to return to the village for inspiration. And this Volver is, I think, part of that in sort of like growing up in a small town, remembering how those conversations were, the sort of tones and the textures of these conversations and the secrets and all that, that, you know, this, this magic of a, of a small town. And, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. Um, uh, Yusuf and I watch, um, uh, Trapped. I don't know if you've, you've watched this TV show, Stephanie. Trapped? Um, it's an Icelandic TV show, kind of a dark drama about this typical... It's like Broad Church. Have you seen that one? Yeah, I mean, it sounds right up my alley. Yeah, it's it's really good, but it's this, uh, you know, like a murder in a small town and all of these secrets that, you know, the t- detective is uh, surrounded by and he has to sort of uncover these, uh, these like, myriad of secrets and stories. And, and I think Volver is an interesting... St- in that small town so what are we watching next week or i don't know two weeks? <laughs> you don't know well i know uh we're watching no by pablo lorraine and it's a good one i think stephanie it was uh, nice meeting you quotations yeah. around meeting and uh thanks for uh thanks for coming on with us yeah thanks for giving me the space and uh yeah take care